Men are built for the demands of life. The breadth of our shoulders bears the weight of responsibility in our homes. The depth of our voices projects strength to the world. And the length of our stride, our ambition, propels us toward career success. Man Up For Life is the coaching and speaking brand you need to reach the heights of your individual and organizational greatness. Responsibility, power, and ambition will cease to overwhelm you and begin to inspire you. To get started today, contact Demetrius Love at manupforlife at yahoo.com or at manupforlife across all social media platforms. Responsibility, power, ambition. Don't be overwhelmed. Be inspired. Start today. Thank me tomorrow. It's just like how it's like how you and your friend Jason talk about emotional intelligence and y'all mentioned this philosopher and I was like, whoa. And then the other students was like, you got a podcast? I was like, yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's good. It's it's real good. I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah. That's yep. that's pretty sick when you in class and your students like referencing your podcast. That's not even yeah. like that was, that was <laughs> not wild. even homework. That caught me totally off guard this morning. So yeah. that's dope. We strike freestyling. So let's go. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Hello and welcome to episode forty of the Motown Philly podcast. Jason, we are forty years old today, or is it forty-one? Forty-one, Brody. Forty-one. That's right. We are forty-one years old today, folks. Welcome to episode 41 of the Motown Philly Podcast. I'm Tim Golden here with my co-host. It's your boy, Jay Hall. What up, though? You heard him, but you can't see him. I can see him. Jason Hall is wearing that Detroit Tigers baseball cap because he is from Detroit, the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan. Yours truly, Tim Golden, is from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Together, we make Motown Philly here, where we are all about communication, connection, and community. Jay, tell everybody how thankful we are, man. Drop that gratitude game on our dope listening audience. Yo, what up, listening audience? It's your boy, Jay Hall, in this piece, and I'm trying to tell y'all, we're so grateful. We're so thankful. You guys make up our community, and we want to continue to grow. But first, we always got to say thank you so much for each download, each listen. We are very aware of the numbers and how they move, but we're not we're not stagnant or we don't just put our attention only there. We truly, truly think about each episode and we think about not ourselves in our episodes, but to those in whom we are speaking to, because we want to make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those who are listening. So you as a community, each and every one of you, every listen, every minute, every moment, whether you're in the kitchen listening or driving on the road, we are grateful for the time that you spend with Tim and I and our special guests. So we want you to continue to like, share, and follow on all podcast performing platforms because we are here. And we are going to be here for a while. Episode 41 is in effect. We love you guys. Yes, indeed. We do love y'all. Like, download, and subscribe to get those upload notifications. And if you yeah. haven't done it yet, go and join the Motown Philly Podcast Facebook group. Mm-hmm. We got guests this year, y'all. We told y'all at the end of 22 we were having guests this year. 
and we have delivered every month we have had a dope guest one after another whether it was ann silvers in january or taylor moore in february or vita star in march solomon jones in april sarah carter the parenting coach the parent whisperer yes yes the parent whisperer bruh that was last week and my goodness and 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 you know it just keeps getting better and better because today we have with us our our unofficial co-host or i guess she really is an official co-host yeah, because yeah. as we were getting into our topic today in our production conversations me and jason we decided that what we we're going to do today for episode 41 is have a potpourri of pop culture and current events that is exactly as it sounds we're gonna sit around <laughs> and we're gonna be in your living room just imagine yourself sitting on your couch talking to some friends maybe you just ate a good meal maybe you just drank a little something maybe a something, a something. Something. i don't know whatever you did if you drank your smoke if you did both if you did neither one and you just wanted to have some good dialogue you came to the right podcast in the right episode because this week we're talking about whatever that's right whatever and we're going to always talk about things in terms of communication connection community and to make this conversation go oh my goodness to go. make it go we have with us once again the lovely stupendous phenomenal miss Vita Star. Vita, welcome back to Motown Philly, girl. What up, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that uh, very enthusiastic and very welcoming introduction. I appreciate it. Thank you. Vita, Vita let me tell you something. Anybody who sees you <clears throat> enthusiastic, anybody who knows you and sees you and knows that they got you that you on their the team. energy the energy oh my goodness you can't <laughs> help but be enthusiastic if right. y'all know Vita like we know Vita then y'all know y'all would understand the enthusiasm in my voice so Vita's in LA Jason's in Memphis I'm in Walla Walla but we from Philly Detroit and LA so what's on what's on your mind, y'all? Vita, get us started. What's what's on your mind today? What kinds of things are happening in the world that just make you scratch your head, shake your head, shout, scream, whatever? What's on? Oh, your I mind? didn't know you're gonna kick it off to me. Nah. So, <laughs> Watch out, man. I guess I gotta. You know what though? Like the great philosopher Sugar Free says, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. so. I guess what's been on my mind mostly is somebody's been back in the uh, online media space. Um, this therapist named Nicole Lewis, who she is, she's Nicole Lewis LCSW on social media. She has a TikTok, she has a Twitter page. She decides she's going to try to lambast this website called blacktherapyformen.org. I mean, sorry, black men, therapyforblackmen.org. And um, because they removed her from their directory, from their website and returned her money. Now, it's, now this website is a website for, it's basically it's for black men who are seeking therapy services and mental health services. If you're a therapist, you can pay a monthly or annual fee to be listed on their directory and their 
Now they give you a verified check saying that, you know, we verify you as one of our therapists. So you can come on our page and, you know, for so black men who are seeking therapy, um, we're verifying that you're a good therapist for black men. Um, for those of you guys who don't know who she is, a few months ago, she posted on Twitter and then later on her TikTok that she was no longer going to be uh, accepting male clients because a few of them apparently had, according to her, emailed her and made her feel as though she had to prove her worthiness to them as a therapist because they emailed her and asked her I promise you this is what she said um they emailed her and asked her uh what why she should be their therapist basically allegedly this is what they asked she this if this even happened it's possible maybe they were just asking we'll make her a good fit but she felt like they should be asked for consultation services we don't really know what was said in these emails if these emails ever happened but she said she was taking them on male clients because of these few in her e email and then she tried to frame it as though you know this is her way of protecting herself but really it turned out how most people at least how i looked at it it was way better to promote her services because she wanted to target black women now, mm -hmm. anybody who works in mental health knows that there is nothing wrong with having a niche demographic that you want right. to target. Mm -hmm. If she just wanted to say, hey, I specialize in working with black women. I want to target black women who have you know, sp specific issues. No one would have batted an eye. Mm -hmm. Therapists and mental health professionals do that all the time. You have therapists who say, hey, I work with um, Asian Pacific Islander people um, who have been through whatever sort of traumatic situation. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know a guy who works with specifically professional um, executive black men, black male executives. That's who he works with, right? Um, because they want to specialize with a particular group for whatever reason. There's literally nothing wrong with having a niche demographic. Mm -hmm. But people who were defending her were saying, there's nothing wrong with having a niche demographic, as though that was the problem with her stating she wasn't taking any more male clients. What, where the, for me, where the line got crossed is saying you're no longer going to take a particular demographic because of a few in your inbox. Once you generalize a group as being harmful to you because of a few who emailed you, then you become problematic, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Not just my opinion, it actually turns out it's completely unethical. You can look it up, right? You're, if you're a licensed clinical social worker or therapist, you cannot generalize or stereotype a group and then say you're no longer taking them as clients. If a bunch of Asian people email you and then you say, I'm no longer taking Asians <laughs> because I didn't like the way 20 of them emailed me, you would be considered unethical. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's just how that works, right? right? Well, anyway, fast forward, she puts out videos claiming that this group black ther uh, therapy for black men harmed her and they were unprofessional because they returned her money and said they you know here's your money back we're removing you from our site after she also posted oh got to add this someone said to her you should probably remove yourself from this site when she first stated she was no longer taking men she said i asked him last week she said this on her on twitter so why are you posting videos saying that this website harmed you by returning your money and removing you from the site? So curious to know your, your thoughts on this, guys. My first mm -hmm. question is, 
did she make a did she make a statement as to how many men this was like no. was were they were there three were no. there two i don't so, care if it was 200 <laughs> i'm thinking the, i'm just saying i'm thinking the number was low for and then she generalized assuming that it happened at all yes it would have to be a low number Right, right, because I like that qualifier, Vita, assuming that it happened at all, because there is a lot of cultural and social media currency in denigrating men, particularly if black men could be part of the equation. We We just love to drag black men in certain social media spaces. But here's my question, Vita. How is she harmed if... So, okay, she said that she wasn't going to see men anymore. And the site that gave her back her money is a site that deals with black men. Right. So black men would be included in men. So that was my argument. So if I run the site and I see you ain't going to see men no more and my site is tailored toward black men, then I'm going to politely do what they did. Take you off the platform and refund your money. How is that harmful to her? That's what I'm trying to figure out. How does that hurt her at all? It ain't like she said, they took me off the platform and haven't refunded my money. Mm -hmm. Now that's a horse of a different color. But to say that you come out and you say, I'm not going to deal with this demographic anymore and then a, 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 a therapy site that includes the demographic that you don't want to see no more returns your money what is wrong with that that's I mean, what I'm trying to figure out I just think in how I'm hearing what happened Vita is this like she painted a picture to where she was a kind of a low-key victim right like low-key no 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 no, no. high key high key because she also said because this is the thing unless you actually see and hear the video it probably makes it like i'm probably being very nice wow i'll put it i'm I'm probably being very conservative she also said that she was already being harmed by the same demographic that was harming her in the first place by sending these emails allegedly asking about her services yeah she she's a victim she's a victim and the thing is like she's a therapist so like she don't see that she's playing victim like stop it lady what you lack of accountability and self-victimization stop it i can't understand why i mean social media really has people believing that it's the real world in total like it does trying to you you're are you trying to get street cred on twitter like is that your world do you really think the whole world operates that way sadly and- i think she's trying to promote her business wow be. very much so i mean wow. which is part of social media like she might be playing it to a t to how you know as currency you know negative news is 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 eyeballs and attention and clicks and all that other stuff likes or dislikes like it's it's like what trump thinks is like negative news is is good news for me good news is good news let's see that's why i think it's a bad strategy right because anytime you have to 
put somebody else down to build yourself up that that's a that's a serious moral problem right mm, mm. success is not a zero sum game i should be able to do my thing in affirmative ways without stepping over anybody else or crushing anybody else in order to get the success that belongs to me and if i have to denigrate one demographic or another you know i don't have to do that i was getting in my car today and i thought to myself at the end of the day i was like you know i graded a bunch of student papers today i had office hours i had students there was a line outside my office i said all of y'all come on in and they all sitting down they on the floor some of them on chairs and i thought to myself man you know i i really like what i do you know i get to help people and you know now i'm thinking back to that moment earlier a couple hours ago and i'm like i'm enjoying what i do for a living without hurting anybody else like why can't why can't people just do what they do right do what you do stay in your lane and you don't have to step over other people or stomp on them in order to get there i think it's just sad that we play such a zero-sum game with success in our culture because it doesn't have to be cutthroat like that well i think what makes it even more egregious at least for me um is that this is a therapist and she's representative and not just her because there were other therapists and mental health professionals who have this in their credentials on in their social media you, you can find their pages because people were finding them um finding their therapy pages that are verified you know um that are backing her up right um psychology today wrote an article about her now mind you i don't even like psychology today because i think they're racist as hell but um these are people who are verified and they're representing the profession and we're telling black men you know we want you to take your mental health seriously we want you to get therapy we want you to get help and these are the people that are representing that profession black people at that so that's what bothers me more than anything is that these are the people that are that are representing the the space that should be taken very very seriously and this is why i always let people know just because people are black doesn't mean that they're going to be helpful or that they're doing the right thing i'm not one of these people who's about representation i'm not that person Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I don't I'm not the DEI person I'm not that person that's like oh we need I'm not that person all kinfolk ain't all skinfolk ain't kinfolk that I'm that person because mm -hmm. I need to know that you about that you really about this for real mm -hmm. see every black person that's working in the mental health field that's just putting black on their thing they're not for real just like this woman saying she claims she wants to help black women how's she going to help black women when she herself can't take she's she has no accountability because she put on social media that she was we're gonna remove herself from that site. She put that on social media months ago. Then they removed her and she played victim. So you have no accountability and you're a self-victimizer. How can you be a good therapist? How can I take you seriously? And I'm a black woman. I I'm a person who's looking for actual help. And I was telling somebody else this, you know, and 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 then it turns into this other conversation that I also don't think is healthy, where people go, Well, I'm not gonna go to a black woman now for my mental health needs. See, it's not about a, her being a black woman or not. It's about the person who, themselves and the fact that she herself is problematic. Because there are some other, so I know plenty of black men who've also gotten mental health help from black women who actually helped them. 
So I, cause you, so don't judge it like, oh, I have, this is a black woman. I'm not going to get help from her now. No, I always say, do a lot of your work first before you even go down the road of therapy. That's what I say. What is it that you have that you feel like you need help and support in? Are there already books on the subject? Are there lectures you can listen to? Or is there research you can do yourself? And then that'll help guide you so you have the right questions to ask on that first consultation. A lot of us go into that first consultation blind, right? In my consultation, when you get a therapist, they're supposed to give you at least one consultation. If, if not free, at least even if it's uh, when you have to pay for it, your insurance pays for it, you have that first visit. You should have some questions ready. So you know what you should be asking. You need to know if this person is healthy enough to be treating you. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I do because like to get in with a therapist, like you are, you are like bringing a person into your most intimate space, especially if you're there wanting and desiring to be vulnerable so that you can truly get that genuine help. Like when you start to yoke up with a therapist, like you are you're letting him into your psyche and your emotions and which is meaning which means you open yourself up to kind of in certain ways be manipulated so um when you come in with the right questions or you just have the acknowledgement like yo i gotta vet this person because this is this is an important relationship that that will be forged um so that i can get healthier so yeah i love that yeah, that's good. That's great advice, Vita. Well, I, you know, I need y'all to help me out with something. What's okay. that? Vita, I need y'all to help me out. So, hey, I'm a lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. Amongst many things. Right. <laughs> lawyer, <laughs> philosopher, author, right. professor. Like, thespian. Actor. Yeah, right, right. I'm going to just stay in lawyer mode right now. I want y'all to really try to help me out here. So ever since, ever since uh, the summer of 1991, summer of 1991, I was in my second year of law school. I was going into my second year of law school, and I never forget at the end of my first year, Justice Thurgood Marshall decided he was going to retire. And President Bush, George Bush, 41, the father of, of W, decided that he was going to nominate Clarence Thomas to serve on the Supreme Court. So I remember thinking to myself, all right, this is going to be interesting. And September comes and they go through the confirmation hearings without a glitch. And then up pops Anita Hill, right? And the sexual harassment allegations. And Clarence Thomas supposedly talking about how much porn he watched, uh, asking her questions like, you know, her, her breast size or this, that or whatever, asking her out on dates. When he was the chair of the, when he was the director of the EEOC, she worked for him. She worked under him, asking her who put the pubic hair on my Coke can, you know, all of this, all these allegations. And then he just comes out and denies the allegations. And about a week later, he gets confirmed to the Supreme Court. And ever since 1991, for the past 32 years, I've been scratching my head. I have tried y'all. Now y'all don't understand as a lawyer, right? I have an I have an ethical obligation as a lawyer. I literally can get in trouble if I talk bad about judges. Like if I say bad things about judges, particularly bad things that are unsubstantiated, that sort of thing, 
if I do that enough and in the wrong way, I can get in trouble because as a lawyer, I have an ethical obligation not to make the rest of us look bad. So if I'm going out talking bad about judges and this and that, I can get in trouble. But no matter how hard I've tried, y'all, over the years, I've tried really hard. I even went and bought Clarence Thomas's biography to try to his autobiography to try and understand what makes him the way he is. Why are you so hostile to people who look just like you? Mm. Why in your every opinion? I'll give you all an example. About four years, about five years ago, Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote a majority opinion freeing this man from death row in Mississippi. Justice, this is a Trump appointee, a Trump appointee who, in his majority opinion, said the state of Mississippi engaged in systemic racial bias in this guy's jury selection and that he therefore had to be set free because his trial was tainted. Guess who disagreed? Clarence Thomas. Now, if you are to the if you are to the right of Uh. Brett Kavanaugh, oh Lord, my point is, I finally think I got it figured out. I watched a documentary on YouTube, and I was going to tell you this, Vita. I I want you to see. I want you to watch this documentary because it's a fascinating case study in his personality when you when you see this you know clarence thomas was down with the black panthers and malcolm x when really? he was in, yes he listened to all malcolm x's speeches he <coughs> what yes yes you blowing my mind right now yes so you bro know. like what happened something okay. happened something happened listen to me man he was he went to how he went he was in a catholic seminary and he was getting so badly mistreated because he was the only black kid there that he left the seminary. And then he, he went to college at Holy Cross, which is a Catholic uh, college in Massachusetts. And there he came across other black students and they were all down with black nationalism. Clarence Thomas was a black nationalist when he was in college, okay? He was into, they interview people in this documentary. People face. Like, no, listen, people who like Clarence Thomas, they went on to become judges. They went on to have all these great successful careers. And they sitting there looking at the camera in the documentary, they scratching their head. Like, I don't know what happened, <laughs> you know, because he, he led a, Clarence Thomas led a march in Harvard Square in like 1968 right after the king assassination and they was tearing stuff up and then clarence thomas said he got back to his dorm room and you know you you read this in his autobiography he felt so guilty he felt like he let his grandfather down and you know his grandfather basically raised him and talk about parenting oh my gosh every kind of thing you could do wrong as a parent like you know if we if sarah carter heard the way his grandfather raised him she would be like no wonder he crazy right right and he when he first got out of school he married a, he married a black woman and got out of law school he married a black woman they had a kid together and that didn't work out 
Then he was dating another sister when he was headed to EEOC. That didn't work out. Then he met Virginia Thomas, who's his wife now, who's white. And she has always been on some conspiracy theory BS. Like she was part of the John Birch Society, which is like the 1960s and 70s and 80s version of QAnon, right? So she she was always on some craziness. And one of the people said something in the documentary that I thought was really powerful. Uh, it was it was his ex-girlfriend. She said uh, that when he got nominated to be a federal judge, he he sat back and he put his feet on the desk and he puffed a cigar and he said, everybody who ever did me wrong is in for it now. I'm not going anywhere until they get what's coming to them. And you, you, what's wild is you, he's acting as though he could get somebody back on an individual basis being a judge. And you really can't, not unless they come before you for a case or whatever, but it, it just doesn't really work that way. And I've discovered for me, I think, my considered assessment of Clarence Thomas is that he he's just vindictive. Like he is vindictive and he is mean spirited. And they talked to, you know, the ex-girlfriends and a couple of other folks, and they were just like, Yeah, he will he will try to get American society back at all costs because when he was in college he got teased and they said he was only in school because of affirmative action. So, so why is he mad at black people though? That's yeah, where I'm, I'm lost. I'm, wi- right. I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for the, sh- <laughs> right. the shoe so, to drop. Well, I think he's mad at black people because he thinks that policy programs like affirmative action were responsible for him getting ridiculed when he was in school and so anybody who supports affirmative action is implicitly supporting him to be ridiculed because in his eyes he's qualified so his beef the beef he has with people in the black community is a policy beef that says i got teased because people said i wasn't qualified and i was there because of affirmative action so affirmative action was bad and if you support it you're bad too i don't i don't know what's going on but y'all need to see this documentary i'm gonna drop it in the in the show notes you know and i'm gonna send it to you too vita you gotta you gotta see this it's unbelievable yeah he needs to visit therapyforblackmen.org he can get connected with the therapist that is qualified and specializes in helping black men through their issues what kind of shit is that you know that's crazy that, you know, it makes me think of incels. You know, yeah. you know what I wait, mean. Wait. Like they want. No, no. What's incels? <clears throat> incels are involuntary celibates, um, and and that now they have a word called femcels, which are women who are involuntarily celibate. That means that these are people who can't get laid, essentially. <laughs> and so, not just can can they not get laid? And this is mind you, these are terms that they call themselves. Um, but uh, they 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 struggle. So incels in particular, mostly men, they struggle with uh, getting women, dates, and things like that. And so they have this anger toward women because some you know in high school you know some girl dissed them for the guy that they think was 
a jock or a, a thug or whatever, right? So now they're angry at all women. So they try to take this pain out on all women. So all women are terrible. Um, you know, they get jobs and they they, they pride themselves and they stick it to women, you know? And um, that's, that's what Clarence Thomas sounds like. So basically he's an incel, but for black people. <laughs> it's like he wants to get revenge against society. And I mean, you know, for somebody who espouses such conservative rhetoric and says, oh, we don't need a victim mentality, he sure is playing a victim. Mm. He is playing the consummate victim. And I mean, sadly, he is. I mean, if we're being honest, it's it's like, you know, people like him and Larry Elder, they are victims. Larry Elder is a, is a black conservative, you know, who does like that radio talk show. I don't think he has any like real credentials outside of that. You know, maybe journalism or something. I don't fucking know. But, um, you know, these black, all these black conservatives, they really are victims of white supremacy and racism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's they, they are. If we, if we want to have empathy for them to some degree, granted, yeah. Clarence Thomas is in a powerful position and he does harm. So it's hard for us to have empathy for someone like him. But taking into consideration that this is the result of white supremacy, this is the result of racism, this is the result of what of oppression, right? Um, he's got misplaced aggression. Mm. Yeah. He's, you know, he's taking it on out on the wrong people. He's doing this all the wrong way, but it is the result of racism. Yeah, I, I just, I'm just astonished at this. And when I think about it, and here's the thing: it isn't just his hostility toward black people, but it's the way that he has done so many things that are apparently unethical. So for the past 25 years, he has been accepting trips, mm-hmm. lavish vacations mm-hmm. on the dime of this conservative billionaire named Harlan Crow. And he's claiming that he didn't he didn't he didn't have to disclose any of it on his public financial forms which all of the justices have to have to complete. He's claiming for the past 25 years, I didn't have to disclose any of it because, well, if I had to, I didn't know. Like at the time it was okay. And from now on, I'm going to start disclosing it. Well, that's like locking the barn door after the horse is stolen. I mean, you know, is that really what we're doing now? And then you add to that his wife's role and connection. His wife is texting President Trump's chief of staff in the days leading up to January 6th and January 6th. And every time I turn around, I see Clarence Thomas. And I want y'all to know, I have tried over the years. Like, I have searched out YouTube videos and I have listened to Clarence Thomas on panels, talk about the law, you know, legal scholarship. And you know what? If If you don't know the other stuff about him, he's really a gregarious, charming, seemingly nice guy. But that documentary just brought out a side of him that just it just he just seems so mean spirited and so vindictive. And those qualities are not the kind of qualities that you want in a Supreme Court justice. You don't want that justice with that kind of temperament. You want somebody who is going to be even keeled and who's going to distribute justice 
according to according to what the law requires not according to how bad you feel or how mad somebody made you or how much you don't like the culture that's that's just not acceptable jay what do you think about all this man i mean i tried to understand brother clarence man my thought is this is my thought man i mean i'm still kind of missing the disconnect for the 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 hard-hearted vitriol that he has like besides bullying like the if the bullying happened he was a lot older could have should have could have should have would have been a lot mature to understand that you know that, i mean certain people have certain thoughts and beliefs but how how much are you going to take it to heart to then turn um to this this staunch conservative who's who even opposes his own people like i get the deduction of of you know him not him him like being in like the weight of what is affirmative action and then them saying hey you 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 were a benefactor of it and he's just not no i'm here on merit and it's just like okay let me become darth vader like really is was it that bad luke was it was it was it was it was it it that bad anakin like really bro you you don't have to come with the with the mask and the right i don't yeah and you know what was wild jay what else was wild? see this is the thing though this is what i'm saying it's not just his hostility to black people you do you know that there were like seven or eight other women witnesses besides anita hill that were ready to come forward in 1991 but joe biden who then was chair of the senate judiciary committee cut them off and said no we're just going to go ahead and take the vote and all of those women one of the one of clarence thomas's college buddies made the point that the difference between what anita hill said and what clarence thomas said was so vast that one of them had to be lying one of them had to be lying and so you look at it and you say to yourself well now okay 32 years later who was lying anita hill who kind of just you know faded away i mean why would you why would you come forward and risk your own reputation like that so was she lying or was the guy who has seeming who is seemingly vindictive and is now uh you know taking trips with a billionaire and not disclosing them was he the one who was lying so i don't know i just i saw that documentary man it just blew me away and to our listeners y'all got to see it too i'm gonna post it in the link for it in the show notes it's a free video it's on youtube produced by pbs it's really outstanding and i'm just trying to get over the fact that clarence thomas was once upon a time a black nationalist down with Stokely Carmichael and H. Rat Brown and a devotee of Malcolm X. That's what I'm tripping on. Now I'm wondering if he was an informant and that's how he got to the Supreme Court. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it a buck. That's what I'm I'm thinking he Wow. What if he that's how he got to the Supreme Court in the first place is this entire time he was actually a snake. Wow. I mean, now that makes more sense than his little, his little, I got to get back at society. The dude was all, he was always an undercover brother. (laughs) (laughs) 
always an undercover brother. Hey, listen, y'all. Y'all, I hope y'all enjoying this conversation. We just sitting on the sofa eating some chicken wings, some pizza, and as for me, I'm sipping on an orange soda. Yeah. Listen, we're gonna be right <laughs> back after this break to continue this conversation. Potpourri of pop culture and current events right here on the Motown Philly podcast. We will be back and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, Motown Philly family. You all need to know that this podcast is sponsored by the Speakers Mechanic. The Speakers Mechanic is a business enterprise of my co-host Jason Hall, who is a communication skills coach and he's also published author of a book called a vocal owner's manual he works with professionals who are looking to improve their communication skills and i guarantee you that if you work with him he will improve yours check out his book on amazon again it's called a vocal owner's manual and you will be certain once you check him out to improve and get better because here at Motown Philly, that's what we're all about. And that's what his brand, The Speaker's Mechanic, is all about. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thanks to The Speaker's Mechanic for this sponsorship. <laughs> all right. Welcome back to the Motown Philly podcast. Tim Golden here with Jason Hall and the lovely, 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 fantabulous Vita Star. Here we are talking about the craziness in this world so i don't know if that wraps it up for brother clarence chances are we're gonna come across something else crazy he gonna do i think his wife is stone cold crazy <laughs> when, when you see how his wife grew up and you see she grew up in the midwest and they were always she was always part of conservative political rallies that were always espousing conspiracy theories and it helped it gets you to see that that was just QAnon without the internet. Like it's always been a, a small group of fringe white, far ring, uh, far right wing Republicans that have just been always been off the rails. Social media has just made them more prominent and helped them to multiply. Sadly, yo, go go easy on the Midwest, bro. Go easy, go easy. Baby, listen, baby. listen. Let me interject. Let me let me yeah, interject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to us, Jack. Culture, what up, though? So, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not like Vita coming with, coming with the kind of the therapeutic angle, and I get that. The with the sociological background and how she gets into what the hell is going on with individuals and how they treat people, or Tim with his lawyer vibe. Y'all got the baseball hat on. Let's put some sports into this mug. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking NBA, but it does have some political. It does, it does have some me. I'm gonna mix, I'm gonna mix culture a little bit. I'm gonna mix it up a little bit. Yo, y'all know I'm from the D. Y'all know I'm from Detroit. Y'all hear the swag. And and y'all hear. Wait, 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 wait. Not just y'all hear. Y'all know that I'm in Memphis. And if you're if you've been listening to anything about pop culture, um, there's this dude by the name of what's his name? Like what 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 they call Ja Morant? Like yeah, yeah. if you have been living under a rock, I'm gonna say, I don't know, for the last two months or so, and even over this past week, old Ja done got himself in trouble again. And he got himself in trouble in this state that I live in. 
that is actually about guns that is actually a gun um this is a gun toting state you don't need a permit you don't need a license you don't it, it doesn't even you don't even need a certain age limit around here to have a gun they just like oh you got a gun all right it's cool it's literally ridiculous but if you live in shelby county you you might and and understand like the crime rate you might kind of to make some correlations but there's other ramifications ja got in trouble almost two months ago about being on social media and waving a gun that he actually like you know he was actually the one who went live on his own personal ig and he got in trouble right before the playoffs and was suspended about eight games and he came back a lot of people thought that the commissioner went a little soft on him and he was able to play in the playoffs and he are you know he gave his statement i'm gonna be a good boy i'm gonna make better decisions blah 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 and now this joker pops up on the on the scene on social media again on sunday and they said ja had a gun on social on his social media live and me like all of y'all who are listening and youtube was like yo is this a rerun like did this why are they posting this again i already like this has happened already no bro like he did the same ish again i'm just like and here's the thing i'm not even trying to be judgmental it's just like bruh like like how did that happen so right now in media there's this thing because when you look at what ja did he didn't break any rules he, no one was like necessarily in imminent danger we don't know if the gun was loaded we don't know if it was his it wasn't necessarily Jaws live. It was his boys live, who's kind of a questionable friend. He's been kicked out of the Memphis Grizzly arena, like for this whole year. Like when he, when the year their season was going on, he did something I don't know nefarious or something that he shouldn't have done, and he literally got kicked out of the arena for like for the whole season. But now he's hanging out with this boy, flashing a gun, and he's back in the news again. And he gotten you know he's he's in trouble and certain people want him suspended for most of the season and there are some other people who are just like um he you have people in in florida you have you have uh, gun-toting politicians who pop up on their uh christmas cars with their kids in there with the kids with like like ar-15s and yeah and there was something but he that already faced the consequence uh, to some degree right like he didn't right. make an um all nba team he he yeah this is before this new one new thing uh happened yeah the so on the first time because he uh because he did what he did and he was suspended he didn't make the all nba team very good vita and also because of because of that he lost 40 million dollars because he was better than some of those people some people who actually did make the team so it was apparent that it wasn't because of his play it was it was kind of part of the punitive like repercussions of his actions on the first account or the first act of 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 showing a gun now this dude doesn't did it again it's like what do we do how do we like this is a gun like guns in our country is a real thing and you got people on different sides and Ja didn't kill or didn't do anything illegal we the, people don't know what to do with the, this Ja Morant guy talk to me y'all 
Well, there's a few things. I saw the video. Mm-hmm. He was in a car. The, the, the second video, this last video, this latest video. Yep. He was in a car with his friends. His friend was uh, on the phone. Now, that this is what's so interesting. It says even his friend had enough sense. was like, okay, let me... Because he very quickly mm-hmm. moved the camera. Right. right? When he saw Josh Morant had pulled out the gun. And he was like, bruh, like, come on. And he moved it really quickly. Um, but the second thing also was because they're in a car and he and he didn't have the gun. The gun wasn't in a holster. The gun wasn't... My question is, was it actually legal to, to hold the gun in the way he had it? Um, is that actually legal? Yeah, That's so Memphis. I don't. So in Memphis, you can do that. Yes. You just don't need to be. I know in some states. Around. I don't know. I know in some states like Texas before. I don't know how it is now, but I know. In te- well, actually, I'm pretty sure even now in Texas, that's not legal. You definitely cannot do that in Texas. And that's a gun state. <laughs> you know what I mean? As well. Um, you have there are certain laws where if like if you're pulling your gun out, you have to be using it to defend yourself. Mm. So then I don't know. I, we I, also, can't, I can't. I can't speak to that. Like so that's my. No, there aren't any charges being pressed as far as I know. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's totally fine. I don't know. Or maybe they're just not pressing charges. Who knows? But uh, so people saying it's not illegal. I don't know if it's legal or not to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have thoughts. The reason why I'm saying that is because I would hate for somebody to think, oh, this, this isn't illegal. And they start doing it thinking that it's totally fine to do that. And that's might not, that totally might not be legal. Um, right. But the other thing is, I think the part for me that's so distressing is that he's, he's very young. He's like 23. I think mm-hmm. exactly 23 um he's very young and it seems so unnecessary like he's not a kid who you who grew up in an environment where he wouldn't know better right like there are some kids that you that you that are grew up in environments where this will just be normalized so you can see him really just not knowing any better because it's just such a normal this wouldn't be abnormal i don't think he grew up that way Right, like he, this wasn't the environment he grew up in, where this would these are the kind of group people I grew up around. This is the kind of life that I lived. And from my from what I, my understanding, even people who did kind of grow up in that environment, even they have a little more wherewithal to be like, okay, this is probably not the. I got in trouble for this before. Let me not do this again. Mm-hmm. I, that's what just bothers me a lot about. It. It's like, well, where is his? Where is he at? To where he doesn't even realize. I should probably not be doing this again. And why am I doing this in the first place? Um, and also the fact that is, is it to be on a, in the stage that on a world stage at 23 have all the opportunities. For, is it, is it, is it almost self-sabotage? Is there a, an element of that there? Mm. Is there something going on? We don't know. I, I'm trying to come at this. The reason why I'm, oh, I'm often trying to come at this from a non-judgmental space is I feel like I know so many young people who often make make, make mistakes and they feel judged. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to how they hear these conversations. So when they make mistakes, not just 20, 20 somethings, I'm talking like teenagers, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When they hear these stories and they make mistakes, how do we handle it right how do we handle these conversations um can i interject let me interject um i love what you just said and tim we'll have to have you kind of 
chime in with this, but it sounds like when you talk about Vita, those kids, um, teenagers, and even young 20s, the challenge of articulation of what's going on, because the thought process to a lot of people, they're saying he knew better. He did it again. He was reprimanded. He was punished. So they're saying this question, well, what's wrong? And I think it's a good question. I think it needs to be kind of kind of teased as to how it's presented, but it's just like something might be going on where he is kind of acting out and he might be in some type of, like you said, self-sabotage because the weight of his whole entire family is on his young shoulders. And certain people handle that differently. We can bring up LeBron, we can bring up Michael Jordan, but the point is that we're not talking about them. Ja is totally Ja. And it wasn't this, like you messed up once and yeah, but the second time, is this what is wrong? And in a, to, to ask that in a, in a genuine way, in a sincere way, like, bro, do you have the language to really articulate? Have you given this the space? This is communication, right? Have you had that internal dialogue as to, yo, because your dad can't tell you, your friends is not going to stop you because they get to hang it with you. Like, what is that internal dialogue? What is wrong? You know what I'm saying? Can you articulate that to me? And even what's happening here, right? Like, I, even if we change the word, because even if we switch it from what's wrong, well, what's happening here? Like, mm-hmm. what's really happening here? What's happening underneath all of this? I love that. Right? Because mm-hmm. some, because even if even if we're saying, because I feel like it's not even we, because I, I even I say what's wrong. I mean, maybe I feel like I should change that language. Right. Of what's wrong with what's happening here? Something like else is happening underneath all of this, and I think we're trying to understand. Um, I think. For me, I would like to understand so we can figure out how to help him. I think other people want to understand so they can figure out how to profit off of him. Mm. And I think that's where he also feels he he can also feel a little lost. Like, well, who's really trying to help him? Mm-hmm. Or who's just trying to profit off of him? And there's I a lot of people who get, who are getting fed off of him at mm-hmm. 23. You know, I love that. Let's change it to what's wrong and to and I think I want to incorporate that in my in my um just my lexicon and my diet and my the way I communicate with my kids is that, you know, how we have a knee jerk. What, what's wrong? What, what happened? What, or what's wrong? What's happened is a lot better. Well, listen, y'all have brought two very good perspectives, but as they say in Memphis, I ain't finna judge job Moran at all. But what I'm is finna do <laughs> is tell you this right here. You heard it here on the Motown Philly podcast. The Second Amendment is, as currently interpreted by the Supreme Court, exists to satisfy white rage and paranoia about the browning of America. Mm. The day after Barack Obama was elected in 2008, there were more guns sold on Wednesday, November 5th, 2008, than any other day in American history since they recorded gun sales. Now, I don't know if that's still true, but at the time, Barack Obama was elected Tuesday, November 4th, 2008. Wednesday, November 5th, 2008, there were more handguns purchased in America than at any other time in the country's history since they began recording gun sales. I'm here to tell you this. 
we can castigate John Morant all we want. The fact of the matter is what my father told me a long time ago. Timbo. My father used to call me Timbo. He said, hey, Timbo, you know what? You can't do what white people can do. Uh. Don't ever forget that. Uh. You you ain't allowed to do. White man in Nashville, Tennessee, a lawmaker, one responsible for the policies and and and, and such around laws can take a Christmas card photo with him and the members of his family, small children holding assault rifles and nobody bats an eyelash. And there was a mass shooting in his legislative district in Davidson County in Nashville at the Christian school. There was a mass shooting here in Tennessee. You done kicked out two black men from Congress for protesting the mass shooting during a legislative session and a white woman was protesting with them and the white lady, nothing happened to the white representatives, to the white female representative. And they asked her, how come she didn't get expelled? She looked at the reporter. She was like, y'all know why I'm white. That's why I'm still here. And if we just follow the timeline, at no point in Ameri in the history of American constitutional law had there been any serious litigation about the Second Amendment, because it was always understood that the Second Amendment made reference to militia groups that w existed under state laws at the time of the nation's founding. And it was also generally understood that the Second Amendment did not infer or confer an individual's right to own a handgun. That was the understanding. But what happens? Barack Obama gets elected in 2008. And also in that same year, I don't know if it was before or after the election, the United States Supreme Court decides a case called United States versus Heller. And for the first time in American history, the Supreme Court says that gun ownership is a fundamental right. Individualized gun ownership. Two years later, in a case called McDonald versus the city of Chicago in 2010, the Supreme Court basically made the Second Amendment obligatory on the states through the 14th Amendment's due process clause. Now, mind you, the 14th Amendment is one of the Civil War amendments that were intended to help newly free black slaves. And here we are using the 14th Amendment completely out of its historical moorings as a way to give American citizens, i.e. white people, the individual right to own handguns. And you got black people like Judge Joe Brown talking about, that's right, I'm going to have my gun. And there's always some black people running around talking about their right to have a gun. And yet white people can go do mass shootings, can take Christmas cards holding their guns, and nobody says anything about it. And because John Morant flashes a gun on social media, nobody gets shot, nobody gets killed. I get it. He's a role model. I get all of that. I get I get the whole side that you and uh, Jason, that you and Vita are talking about. All of that's mm -hmm. true. But the elephant in this room is that the Second Amendment exists as currently interpreted by the Supreme Court to help placate white rage and paranoia at the browning of America. I'm going to just leave that there. Yes, but I want to push back. 
I'm going to push back because I feel like you're talking about it in the same way people talk about freedom of speech. Yes, you're right. Um, Legally speaking, everything you're saying is accurate. However, as far as I know, and like you let me know if there's anything different that you've heard either of you, um, he's there are no charges being pressed against him. Right. Right. So we're not talking about anything legal. We're talking about um, what a business might decide to do because of his actions. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like when if I go on social media and I start saying certain things or if I get on TV and I start saying certain things that misrepresents or my job feels does not accurately represent them because they're a business. And I so, for example, if I work at a, a, a animal shelter and I start saying, you know, I hate animals and I think, you know, they're terrible and we should just gas them all. And people are like, no, you should get fired from your animal shelter job. And I get fired from my animal shelter job. You know, it would make sense. Right. So or if I misrepresent whatever my job is. Right. I would get fired from my job or I would get suspended or some type of punishment in some way. Um, That's because I represent my, my my job. If I if there's an expectation that I have, um, I, I represent <clears throat> a certain way because I represent my business. I, I represent a business, um, and I'm a spokesperson. And it's and now keep in mind, John Morant is somebody who's a big star. He's a, he's supposed to be the next one, right? <laughs> um, you know, Steph Curry and LeBron are finna be out of here, right? So he's he's gonna be the next one. So he's supposed to be this they're looking for their next golden boy right so you have somebody who's who's going to be who's going to be a representative of your brand they're looking at it from that angle so i'm not saying that he should be punished or anything like that but i'm just pointing out like i think there's a little bit of a difference between the legality of something and the representation of an organization or a business I, I couldn't agree with you more, Vita. I, I totally agree with you. That's why I said everything you and Jason said is legitimate. I just think there's another side to this that no one is talking about, regardless of whether or not John ja Morant is charged with a crime. The fact of the matter is when you have a state legislator who obviously is supposed to represent the, the people in his district and he's showing up taking Christmas car photos with a gun. He's not doing anything illegal either. But that certainly, is that the kind of image that you want to project uh, from your legislature, right? But nobody says anything about that, right? There's And the people who do say something about it are typically the people who don't live in that district and who can't do anything about it. But the fact of the matter is, if you're an American lawmaker in any capacity, you are you are arguably representing the brand of your state or municipality or government agency in the same way that John Moran is representing the brand of the National Basketball Association. And so if we're going to look at this from uh, through a business lens rather than a legal one, and if we're going to talk about brand imaging and if we're going to talk about what's moral as opposed to what's legal, then I think that kind of conversation needs to happen across the board and not just when a young black kid who is likely misguided for all the reasons you and Jason talked about, it goes off the rails and does things that shows that he's exercising poor judgment. 
yes, I'm sure he should be disciplined in some way. Yes, he is hurting the brand of the NBA. Uh, but I think the reason why you don't see a more even-handed uh, approach to these things across the board is precisely because we have a gun culture that the Supreme Court has legitimized. And that legitimization of that gun culture, to me, ultimately is an attempt to help vindicate certain aspects of white supremacy. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree with you and Jason Moore. Ja got problems. But I think the culture has a larger problem because we're unable to see other people who do the same thing as him or something very similar to him in a different context as somehow something being wrong with them. And I'm just suspicious of how we are so quick to, I understand he makes a lot of money. He's a brand ambassador. I get all of that. But we're very quick, even outside of those things, to uh, to judge people and to make assessments about them. Um, we're much quicker to do that than we are the white legislator from Nashville who takes a Christmas card, posing with guns, assault rifles, and then there's a mass shooting in his district, and you know, and he gets reelected. I think I think that's a problem. There's some interjection that um, that I saw according to this particular topic um, when it comes to like a corporation or the NBA and how they handle it. Um, I was just trying to see and find that particular post. I couldn't find it because it was a name associated. It was a, it was a basketball player. Um, he was white. I'm trying to think if he was uh, natively white, meaning that he wasn't an international player. That's what I was trying to verify. But this was sometime over the course of the 2010s and up, maybe 2012, 2013 and 2016. This was a current NBA player. And on several occasions, he posted on his social media. It wasn't a live post. It was him having a bulletproof vest. I'm not sure if you guys saw it. A bulletproof vest and he had many high caliber assault rifles and 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 guns and ammunition ammunition in these several posts and it was it was posted as a conglomerate of like i said i was trying to find it but of him going on social media with his uh with his ammunition and guns and saying like this is what he does and i'm just like and I'm, I, I never heard of I never heard of him doing that. I heard never heard any type of backlash, and it might be speaking to your point, Dem. And it's just like, yo, this 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 same private company with these rules and regulations, um, this has been done before, but we hadn't heard a peep about this particular individual um, and his gun totingness. It just wasn't on live. It's just that's the that's basically the only difference in his and in, in the like the artillery and the rifles that he had. Like it was it was it was quite something to behold. Like, yo, he's in it. He's into that stuff. Like he has vests and everything. And someone posted that like recently, if it wasn't today, yesterday. And it was just like nobody said nothing to this about this dude. Man, I wish yeah. I knew his name. 
And he was he wasn't punished by the NBA, is what no, you guys are saying. Not a not a peep. Mm, he posted a, what was it a picture of him with all this stuff on his social media? He just had it up on his internet. Right. It was. I want to say it was. It was probably Facebook or maybe it was maybe it was even Instagram, but uh, or Twitter. But he had on vest and he had on had his guns and his rifles and it was on several occasions they've said this was 2012 and this was 2013 and this was in 2016 and all we heard is crickets mm. yeah and that's and that's my only point i mean if we're going to be even-handed let's be even-handed i don't disagree with y'all john morant got problems i mean maybe- well, i don't think we were disagreeing on that point i was just pushing back on the idea of the legality part of talking yeah. about the amendments I don't disagree on anything else, but I do find it interesting uh, that the NBA doesn't have an even-handed approach when it comes to the conversation around uh, gun images and social media. Mm. Um, and and but my my guess is also the fact that we have no idea who this white guy was. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't. I'm guessing he wasn't a player that people knew who he was. Yeah, he wasn't. In other words, we might not know that much about him because he doesn't have the superstar status. Right. Yeah. He he was in between a scrub and 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 not an all star. What was his (laughs) name? If I want to give you Greg Ostertag, but that's just that's just the average. But that's but that's my point. You can't even tell us his name. Exactly. <laughs> give me a that's second. My point. Give me a sec. <laughs> the fact that you need a second is exactly we, we're my talking point. about. We talk about most most people in the NBA are black. I mean, hey. <laughs> but that's my point is that. But no, but if he was if he was that great of a white player, we would have definitely known great. his fucking you name. Be great. You gotta be great. <laughs> if, it Luka, if it was Luca or Larry Bird, right? Yeah, yeah. So no, let me let me let me let me let me start round two. So Vita, listen, I told you earlier, and I just you know, I love Los Angeles because y'all got y'all like the Karen Bass. She was one of my favorite uh, members of Congress when she was in the House of Representatives, and so L.A. as a black woman is mad. And two days ago, Philly elected its arguably uh, its de facto first woman mayor excuse me and it's a black woman named Sherelle Parker and C-H-E for those of you who are listening C-H-E-R-E-L-L-E Parker uh, Sherelle Parker won the Democratic primary and um, you'll get a kick out of this I don't know if it's quite this way in LA I don't think it is but Philly the Democratic Party has such a stronghold on Philly that whoever wins the Democratic primary is basically a shoe in for mayor in November when they have we don't that. we don't even have um it's not even party like that like it's pretty much assumed everybody is a Democrat. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, got it. We don't have we don't have a part. We don't they're not they don't run under parties like like okay. At least, yeah. Okay, well we in Philly it's like the Democratic City Committee they they run everything right and so anyway. Sherelle Parker won, and I came across something on social media. So years ago, Sherelle Parker used to be a state representative, right? So she used to be in the state house. And I think if I remember correctly, while she was in the state house, talk about talk about the brand and talk about messing things up and actually committing a crime. She was driving a state car and she got arrested for DUI. <laughs> right? This is like this is used. <laughs> I can check. <laughs> 
She was driving a state car, a state vehicle, I think, and she got arrested for DUI, right? And, you know, she went to court and she she got convicted and she appealed her conviction and all of that. Uh, she managed to stay in office. Again, you know, when you're a state rep or stuff like that, the only people who can vote for you are people in your district. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, during the campaign earlier, late last year, coming into this year, she was asked about it and she gave a response that I don't think people thought was the best uh, response that she should have given. But whatever the case may be, I saw something on social media and I, I'm pretty sure that was the case, that she was it was a state vehicle. I'm I, I think I'm correct about that. But anyhow, she uh, people were saying, oh, the Phillies next new mayor has a criminal record. And I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, but we got somebody running for president who's a criminal defendant. Like Donald Trump is under indictment. And I mean, it's one thing to say you have a criminal record, as in you committed a crime many years ago. It's another thing to 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 arguably commit crimes or admit to committing crimes ongoing. Like it's almost like Trump's Trump's act criminal activity is sort of ongoing. So just curious to as to what y'all think about that scenario and, and the fact that yes, Philly's next mayor will uh, very likely have a criminal record because it will be Sherelle Parker in all probability. What y'all think about that? I mean, I'm not a kind of person who feels like having a criminal record automatically means that you're unqualified to do a, another job later on in life. Like, mm -hmm. you made a mistake, you, put, you did the time, you paid for your crime, you move on in life. Was she excellent at her job? That's my question. Um, people elected her. She was elected. She was elected. People clearly didn't care. <laughs> you know, I don't live there. You know, I don't know um, how effective she was in her position, how effective her campaign was. Um, but I'm guessing the people who voted for her felt like she would do a good job regardless. Um, if stopped her, not the crime was something super egregious, I, I would feel differently. You know, if she was sexually assaulting people, then yeah, I'd be like, get her out of there. Why the hell is she there? But I've seen people, and we, we've seen elections, people were blatant sexual assaulters and they were sitting in office. In fact, we were speaking earlier about those uh, Tennessee representatives that got suspended. One of them pointed out, like, you had a pedophile and a rapist and all those people sitting there who had never been suspended and they were reelected into offices. So, you know, if she didn't do anything like that, I'm good. You know, I wouldn't have an issue with that. So having a criminal record all on its own to mm. me isn't the issue. What you did would make a difference, you know, for sure. So, so check this out. This is from a Twitter account called at uh, it's called Next Philly Mayor. And this is what it says. Parker got in her government issued Jeep on April 30th, 2011, after having two beers and a couple of chocolate martinis at Club Champagne in Germantown. I'm laughing because if y'all knew where Club Champagne was, and I know that's in my neighborhood. She was subsequently pulled over after going the wrong way down a one-way street, Payne Street. She smelled of alcohol, had trouble getting out of her car, had no license, <laughs> registration, or insurance card. She testified that she was never on Haines Street 
and she never told the officer she was drinking, said the cops were lying. A judge cost, tossed the case out. Then it was reinstated after it came out that the judge was Facebook friends with Sherelle Park. <laughs> this sounds like it's made up. She was convicted in a second trial. She appealed the conviction four times over four years. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court denied the final appeal in February 2015. So, there you go. Look, she was trying. She was trying to find a judge. I was going to hook her up. I ain't mad at it. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> she's persistent. No, that's terrible. I mean, that was terrible what she did. I, mean, I think drunk driving is really awful. Yeah. Um, and really, please do not drink and drive. I think it's a terrible thing to do. Um, I know people who have definitely suffered because of it. A friend of mine was recently in an accident. Um, nearly it told her car, you know, could have killed her and her daughter um, because the drunk driver hit her in a head-on collision. So I, I take that very seriously. Do not drink and drive. Um, and she shouldn't have not have done that, state issued vehicle or not. Um, however, I do not think that's something that has to, you know, um, if she, you know, she didn't kill anybody in this situation. So I don't feel like um, this should be the end of her life. If she would make a great mayor, or, then hey, yeah. I'm all yeah. for it. And I, mean, and I mean, you know, what what put me over the top was Solomon Jones endorsed her. So, you know, like uh-huh. if Solomon endorsed somebody, I'm I'm going to tend to get behind him. Yo, I don't drink y'all, but a chocolate martini sounds real tasty. I wonder what that tastes like. I don't know what that's all. It, it, it's not good if you don't like alcohol. So oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> you don't you don't like the taste of alcohol. So you're not going to like it. That's right. I probably wouldn't like it. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's the word chocolate. It's the use of the word. I don't, think what, Tim, I don't think Tim does. I don't think he doesn't like the taste of alcohol because he hadn't had good alcohol to drink. Well, let me let me just you know what? Let me say that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set the record straight. What have you sipped on? What have you sipped on so you can say I don't beer don't taste good, bro? It just don't taste good. Yeah, beer is terrible. If you don't already drink, beer is not good. Right. I mean, it's an acquired taste. A couple of let me give y'all a couple of tell us what you drank so we can tell you what was good or not. So when I first turned 21, right, I was enamored with the fact that I could walk up to a bar and they could demand my ID and I could get in, right? So that's what I did. You know, I turned 21. There was a bar right across the street from the college I went to, and it was called The Rat. The Rat. Shout out to The Rat. Those of y'all who are listening from Westchester University of Pennsylvania, and you went there in the late 80s, y'all know about The Rat. Bruh, The Rat? Like, all right. R-A-T, the rat. That was the name of the bar, man. Today, the rat is no more. It's a Papa John's pizza place. But because yeah, that was bad branding. Back in the day. <laughs> right. Yo, let me tell you what the rat it was. It was a doom from the beginning. You know what the logo for the rat was? The rat was a, a rat holding a mug of beer <sighs> and looking over his shoulder laughing at the rat trap with cheese in it that had snapped down on the cheese and the rat was just drinking the brew. Right? Let me tell you, Vita, let me tell you what that was. That's the reverse M.O. of what Chuck E. Cheese was all about. I was just thinking that. I was literally <laughs> thinking that. You, you got a mouse and you got a rat. You got, you got some pizza and you got a beer. 
a beer, man. And listen, yo, the rat don't sleep. adult Chuck E. Cheese. Exactly. The rat, the rat had some dope burgers and fries. I mean, it was a good spot. Right. So, so I, I first started at 21. I was going in there. I was drinking brews. I was drinking Boilermakers. You know, you take the shot of whiskey and you drop the whole okay. shot. Just stop there. Jaeger bomb. Vita. So basically, you were drinking a bunch of nasty ass twenty-one-year-old yes. drinks. Bro, you need another. You need another try at this thing, bro. When I was twenty-one, I I, I didn't I didn't drink at twenty-one. I started drinking at twenty-three, and okay. I drank terrible drinks. I drank some some BS. Like I drank fake. This is how you know it's bad. I drank bootleg Smirnoff. Uh, <laughs> bootleg? They had it? Bootleg Smirnoff. Yes. Because I was, I was broke. I mean, listen, you know what you, you know. I, you just know what you, you know. If you're not drinking, like, I'm going to be, I, I had to learn a couple things since I've gotten older. Really expensive alcohol, you don't get hangovers, and it does not taste bitter. It doesn't have, like, that weird taste. Mm-hmm. You got to get really... And I, and I hate to say it, like I get it now. I was like, why go buy those expensive bottles? I get it now. That expensive whiskey, you know, that you know, that sixty dollar bottle of whiskey, that said, it is so smooth. It is, and you when you, and when you make a cocktail, you mix it. You don't even taste it. It's you it's, shouldn't be tasting your liquor unless you. Yeah, yeah. When you start tasting it as foul, it's not fun. <laughs> I was 21, man, and my man's off-campus apartment, man. We was drinking tangerine-flavored Mad Dog 2020. Bruh. See? No wonder alcohol sucks to you. (laughs) Man, I was drinking. I drank for like six months. I had actually, believe it or not, I'd actually developed a straight-up taste for Moosehead. Moosehead beer. Right, it's a Canadian. I don't even know what that is. It's yeah. a Canadian lager beer. Was big in Philly. My homie used to always have a case of it at his crib, and you know, I used to be over there drinking it with him. And one night, I had I, I got drunk. I was drunk, and I went back to my dorm room and I fell asleep. And believe it or not, those of y'all who are listening, y'all might not believe this, but when I was 21 years old, I used to run 10 miles a day, seven oh, wow. days a week. And in the summer of 1989, it was so hot. I he went. Did a, he did a I, Martin Payne, Vita. He did a Martin Payne. He was out in them streets. I, I went for a run, and when I finished, my whole body smelled like alcohol and stale urine. And I was letting like, all that toxin out. Right. I was like, if this is what it is going on inside of my body, I'm done mm. and i think july of 1989 was the last time i had a drink that was it for me so they listen far be it for me to peer pressure anyone into drinking um i would never do that but, but and however <laughs> man, i need, think you need a new experience <laughs> yeah like i don't drink all the time like i, like, I don't i don't really drink a lot at all um, but there are definitely occasions where I drink and there's some, there's some really good drinks. There's some great cocktails, there's some great whiskey. I have a friend of mine, um, he's from Alabama and he's a big bourbon and whiskey guy. And he always like, whenever we hang out, he always has to find a place that has like high quality 
bourbon like all the time. I don't even remember the names of these places, these bourbons. He's always showing me some. He breaks it down for me, tells me about it, and this this smoky bourbon and this type of barrel and wood. That they use certain types of woods. I don't know what the hell he be talking There's about. There's a oh. level of sophistication about right. it. Right. Yeah. It, it could be a very like it's it's a it seems like it's a very cultured thing i mean it's it's just like okay this this is from west germany let me <laughs> it's just right. it's, it's different yeah and so when you and when you have great drinks it, it 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 changes your perspective on alcohol and you don't have to do it all the time yeah. like if you like you shouldn't be drinking so much that when you go running you smell like yeah you're doing too much a distillery like it shouldn't you don't have to drink just one or two drinks is fine like you can stop there and it took it took me like two or it took me like two showers to get that smell off and I yeah was, I was like lord don't tell me this permanent that's because <laughs> you was you was clearly doing too much like you know but like i said you don't have to drink at all you know like i said far be it for me to peer pressure anyone to to drink but you know this perspective of you know alcohol is nasty yeah like you just haven't had the right thing you don't have to drink too much got you and everything in moderation i don't judge nobody who who's sipping but i think i was a victim of like i was drinking like that fred sanford quality liquor like ripple that shampipple baby pain and ripple shampipple like i was drinking ripple night train express bnj and all that kind of crap no let it go 40s um, bro you had 40s before bro did I it used to be in my man's basement. Really, I remember growing up you see people drinking St. Eyes and oh yeah <laughs> man oh English you got that oh yeah nigga I got it come on yeah it used to be down in the basement back. that's and- yeah that's not yeah that ain't yeah when i was a kid when i was coming up people were drinking four locos four locos hypnotic mm. um that was like oh, all the rage you might as well be drinking cirrhosis for the liver yeah that's doing yeah my, my dad was on that enj and crown royal enj that and crown royal that was yeah. that was his go-to right there i do like hennessy i won't lie i do like hennessy <laughs> I still like Hennessy. What'd you say? I was gonna say y'all ever see Shannon Sharp pull out his Hennessy on Undisputed? Hell yeah, yeah. He's he's putting on a whole show. He's tripping. Yeah, he's he's being a character. I I get it. Yeah, Shannon Sharp. Yeah, Shannon Sharp's being a character. Definitely hamming it up for the camera. Man, oh man. So, Vita, you got anything else for us? What you I- know what I did and I was trying to remember what it was so <laughs> I don't know if I remember what it was because I was hoping I was really glad that Jason brought up John Morant because that was one of the ones I was going to bring up um, pop culture yeah that's all I got really because I don't really have Beyonce uh, I don't really care about Beyonce um, <laughs> I mean she's cool I have no problem with her I just don't want to talk about it um that's it all i had really y'all's podcast is just great y'all know i love that um appreciate you appreciate you yeah everything else i mean most of the news i've been covering i've been talking about mostly local and i know nobody really cares about our homelessness (laughs) crisis here in la hey what about what about the fact that you guys are are really 
the closest state to potentially passing reparations for black is that like give give us some give you're there you got boots on the ground Vita. like is this a real thing or is just this they're going through formalities this is a bunch of nothing i don't i I don't have a lot of faith in it i don't at least i I don't put my faith in a lot of stuff like that i think i mean it's just gonna be recommendations it's not an actual there's nothing that's actually gonna happen as far as i can see um there's a task force to talk about it it's like our Um, student loans huh I mean, like, pretty much, because the, the reality is the amount of money that they're even recommending. I don't see the state; they're not, they're not going to give us checks in the mail. That, that I don't see that happening. Um, that how are they going to even verify who's who's going to get this money? I don't think they even actually secure what that looks like. But you black, either way, you brown, you black, you brown, you get it, you get down. But even if you, but even if you say black people, which black people, right? Even if you say black American people, which black American people, people who, how long, how long have do you had have you had to have lived in California, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is it people who came through from the Great Migration, people who've been here before that, right? The descendants of who? There's a lot that you'd have to ask. Um, there's also just the fact that these, like I said, these are just recommendations. Mm-hmm. These aren't necessary. That's what all this is going to put forth. I don't have a lot of faith that anything's going to happen. I think a lot of people feel like this is going to be um, something that's going to help move the needle. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. I'm definitely for reparations and I support every fight, every movement. I support the task force. I just, I'm not a person who gets their hopes up for things like this. Because I just don't see one. I know for a fact that they're they're, not, they're unable to give us what they're what we're owed. I just know they can't do it. California doesn't even the, the, the United States doesn't have the money to give us what we're owed. You know what I mean? Um, Let me just say this. You know the quickest way to not get something done in government is to delegate it to a task force. Oh. That's a good point. That's a good point. The force is the bureaucratic graveyard where all great public policy ideas go to die. Wow. Where they lead to rest. Pretty much. Yeah, it's just another layer of bureaucracy. Well said. It's a great way to have a conversation to put on the record that you to look like you're doing something without having to actually do anything at all. It's, it's sort of like grand jury proceedings in police shooting cases. Nobody sees what happened. Nobody knows if the prosecutor tried to present any evidence. All you got to do is put the grand jury behind closed doors and come out and say, oh, well, they failed to indict. It's, 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 you know, it's, I'll say this. Democracy dies in bureaucracy. (laughs) That's a bar. I think democracy dies in bureaucracy. If you, if you want to forget about something, Task force, you want to conceal what you're doing and not be held accountable, even though you are elected to prosecute violations of the law according to the the people who voted you in office. Set up a grand jury. Set up a grand jury. You ain't got to do nothing. You can stand on your head and pick your nose, and then come out and say, "Well, the jury failed to indict." That's what they did with Breonna Taylor. That black man, governor, black man, attorney general. Of Kentucky, don't get us started, bro. Man, he ain't. They ain't do nothing. You know how do we know? That's why I've always said, if you're gonna do 
if you know if if you want to have any sort of uh restore any sort of confidence in the black community in the criminal justice system whenever there's a police shooting case you need to have a preliminary hearing where the, where it's open to the public where people can see that the prosecutor is actually trying to present evidence to get someone's case held for trial if you don't do that and nobody sees anything but a press conference bad news bad news you know speaking of bad news y'all remember and I'm just going back a little bit but it just makes me think about this man Michael Vick went to federal prison for two years man for bankrolling a dog fighting operation and when he got out nobody when the Eagles Philadelphia Eagles decided they were going to let him play for them yeah, all these white Eagle fans, I'm turning in my season tickets. I'm turning in the eight games into the season. They were like, we love Michael Vick. <laughs> Which goes to show you that sometimes in our culture, winning trumps everything, right? When it comes to sports, you know, <laughs> if you're good enough, if people like you enough and you perform well, we tend to get over all your shortcomings, whatever they happen to be. That's so, true. Yes. That, yeah. that's true uh, it, it's which is funny because you, you saying that actually made me think of something I wanted to go back to the John Morant thing one thing that really bothers me is when people especially black people want to take these big moral stances in the face of white people to show that they're one of the good Negroes and they don't support the bad ones mm-hmm. um, and I heard this reporter mm-hmm. making this big stink about how he wasn't going to support John Morant and I also saw I saw multiple black people do this thing and it wasn't just John Morant I've seen this multiple times but you you're guys talking about uh, Mike Wilbar prominent that, yeah mm-hmm. yes by the way I've seen him one, uh, I'm not going to go there um someone <laughs> says I don't need to say it on this show um <laughs> yeah he said he, he doesn't want his kid buying his sneakers he, yeah his sneakers so um which I'm like, why? Like to me, that was super unnecessary. <laughs> Even if it's true, right? It shouldn't yeah. be because, like, who cares? But <laughs> you know, to, even if it's true, it's like this need that certain black people have to put this, make this big production in front of white people on white platforms and white spaces to showcase that they're not messing with other black people who've done something quote unquote bad who misrepresent mm-hmm. to show that they're not good to show, to show that they're good Negroes that they separate themselves from the quote unquote bad Negroes that's something about that that really just burns me up I can't explain how much that bothers me so it's like um, this idea that we have to put on this show of, of, and this, this this big performative gesture all the, like it, it, why why do people do this I mean, I know why, but it bothers me every time. Like all this showboating, and, and it's not just in sports. I see, I see this in a lot of different arenas. You see, I'm sure we've seen it in academia. Um, this, I, this way, this unnecessary um, performance that you know, I have to separate myself from the people that the white people don't like, mm-hmm. and I want to make sure that everyone knows it, even if I don't necessarily have to do this. I, it's just something about that just rose me the wrong way. I think it's the t- typical syndrome of 
like you said um tim earlier said it well it's it's simple i think to the fact that you know you you put down someone else in order to kind of like bring yourself up and it's just like and i don't know if it's that simplified but it's just like you don't have to you don't have to go extra you don't have to go overboard you don't have to say certain things like as black people we need to be mindful of even when we're speaking about other black people about the culture you know what i'm saying like chris rock kind of said it on his last on one of the in this kind of it, it didn't necessarily feel like it I, it didn't i don't think it felt right but it was just like my mama told me not to fight in front of white white people like it's just I don't. I mean, I I hear him. I don't know if he said, but the point is that like I didn't. I didn't understand that at all. Nobody told me that. But whatever. <laughs> like, don't fight it. Like, what? But in right. in certain way, on on their platforms, Hello? don't put down black people. How about that? Mm-hmm. Like, Hello. That's those are the things that are. Hello. What is Vita over there doing, y'all? Is she on live TV saying who's she talking to, Tim? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry, y'all. Vita, she might have had a little something before the before we hopped on today. I thought I was on mute. I'm sorry. Uh, what? <laughs> like, hello, hello. The, uh, all the you guys can hear that? Oh shit, Listen, it does. Mo- oh, I thought Motown I turned up Philly, my mic. Motown I'm Philly. Motown so Philly hears the extra phone calls on in the background. It's all right, oh, because so, I, oh, I turned. I think. Okay, look. Just to be fair, so you guys can see, it's red <laughs> on my mic. Okay, you see, oh, girl, ain't no okay. problem. Listen. Oh my God! I'm so sorry. <laughs> Do y'all Hello. think Obama did that with Jeremiah Wright back in 2008? Did what? Like put him on? No, nah, I don't think he put him on front. He went overboard to distance himself from Jeremiah Wright and said, "Oh, he's the bad black guy." Do y'all think he did that? No, or- not at all. Me personally, no. He's just—he—he—he he, he was running for president, right? I think this is what I think he let us know who he was, and then he was like, "Yo, who—who who doesn't sit? What black person doesn't hadn't gone to a black church before and sat under somebody who said sometimes, Tim, you and I have gone to a church <laughs> and together over weeks and months and years sat under Tom." Popularly, as 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 the pastors, as everyone in the congregation gave resounding amens, and you and I did too, and probably with a little squint, squinted eye, was like, man, we probably need to stop saying amen to this bulls. Even even that old lady in the back, and he was like, I know y'all don't think I can't. I know y'all think I can't preach. She was like, you got that right. Said <laughs> <laughs> that to everything. Show no. No, no, you ain't. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I thought about that because a lot of people criticized Barack Obama back in the day. They were like, are you really just, you know, do you really have to, you know, throw Jeremiah right under the bus like that? Is that that necessary? Or so I was just I thought of that as as Vita was uh, talking about how sometimes black people overreact i was wondering what y'all thought about Barack. i think he told the line very well with okay. this making a distinction between that guy and himself okay well i think he definitely to be president i don't think he had much of a choice and i'm not the biggest obama fan so i'm not necessarily defending him um but i to to be in the position he was in i don't think he had much of a choice i agree 
I, I don't think he like you kind of he's like he said goddamn America like you can't be president <laughs> sitting in the pastor that said goddamn America <laughs> you know no, you ain't gonna get no white people in Colorado to vote for you if that's what you're saying and that's the people who you need to win the election so I'm, I heard, sure, I heard I'm sure Trump could have said some time for like he, he whatever well, uh, what what did I, what did I tell y'all? My father told me you can't do what white people do. Right, like he, you th- exactly like your Obama already had people thinking he was a Muslim, you know, so <laughs> and looking for his birth certificate, <laughs> Trump included, right? So, um, I feel like it's a little bit different for Obama, but it's funny. I heard, um, I also heard. Now, this is a, a conspiracy theory rumor, whatever that he <laughs> he was actually supposed to marry a white woman but instead married um michelle obama (laughs) that's probably not true i'm not saying it's true at all trust me listening i'm not saying it's true um but because he's gonna be president he had to be with a black woman um but and somebody and somebody said you know well he probably would have you know he wouldn't have gotten elected if he married a white woman and i know for a fact he wouldn't have gotten elected if he married a white woman like there's no way he would have been elected if he married a white woman um because i'm telling you right now i don't think most black people would have voted for him if he married a white woman he just wouldn't have um what'd you say no i I was agreeing with you i was saying he would have no there's no way because black people just because i feel like black people especially black women would have definitely and mind you black women are the, the backbone of the Democratic Party. Can I, can I just say this? <laughs> Isn't that the slogan? Isn't that the saying? The black women are the backbone of the Democratic Party. Um, I, I don't say, think... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go oh, ahead. I was just going to say that there are certain things Obama just couldn't do and had would have to do very strategically um, in order to be elected. You know, being with a black woman was what is one of those things. I don't think that's true that he was going to marry a white woman. I don't think that's true. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know for a fact, but I doubt it's true. Um, but I would just say that there are certain things Obama was going to have to do to be elected. It, he would have everything was pretty meticulous on his part. Now, can I just say this to my listener, to the list, to our listeners out there? I don't care who you fall in love with or who you marry. Black man, black woman, white man, white woman, white man, black woman, black woman, white man, black man, white woman. It really doesn't matter to me. But I think it's interesting that what you just said, if Barack Obama was married to a white woman, there's no way he gets that kind of support from the black community, especially not black women. No. But why is it then? And it, it don't get me wrong. This does not bother me. It's just an observation. Why is it that Kamala Harris is married to a white man and no one says anything? That's a very good point. That's a very good point because she's also biracial. Yeah, because if that was Barack Obama married to a white girl, it would be it would be like World War Three. But it's okay for Kamala Harris to be married to a white man. Now, I don't care who Kamala Harris is married to personally. It doesn't matter to me, mm-hmm. but it seems to matter to the culture, right? To our community, one of those situations is taboo. And the other one is gone girl. He got good credit too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will say, I will say this though. 
I think it's a little bit different. Now, I, I do not like Kamala Harris. I dislike her more than I don't like Obama. So I will just be upfront. Um, but so I don't think I'm sitting here trying to make excuses for or defend Kamala Harris and all. I'm, I'm not. Um, but I think the difference is with men in politics and women who are married to men who are politicians. They're a, always a unit. Right, women, the wives of politicians, are often judged along with their husbands, who are the politician. I don't think it works the other way around. A lot of times, women in politics. I don't know most most politicians uh, who are women. I don't even know who their partners are. You don't really see them. They're not arm candy in the same way that political uh, politicians' uh, wives are. Good point. So, like, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what Kamala Harris's husband looks like. Mm-hmm. If he walked into a room and she, he's not standing with her, I wouldn't even know it was him. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like <clears throat> part of it is that, like, he's not even around like that for us to really even think of him. As, we don't see them as a unit. With I, men in politics, you see their wives as part of the unit. Interesting. Interesting. I like that. I like that. That's I never thought of it that way. Jay, what you think about that? I have very little opinion about that. <laughs> no, that's what? a sucker move. I'm sorry. You, you wasn't thinking about you didn't think I'd come up with that answer, huh? <laughs> nah, I think that's kind of a sucker move. You I'll tell you something. this. I'll tell you this. What Vita brought up, I never it was it was kind of crazy. I've never thought that thought. Like I think a lot of thoughts, but I have never thought that thought. Vita, when it comes to if Barack, like I never, yeah, if Barack was married to a white woman, he wouldn't have ever been the Barack that we knew to become president. Like I just, that thought never entered into my mind to contemplate. So it's kind of fascinating to know that that is probably like is true, a, a very true statement in the fact that nah the culture wouldn't be for that dude he just wouldn't be not that it will make him less of a maybe it would make him less but it's just like I don't it's it's a hard saying it's it's a hard saying I think it would have angered a lot of white people especially in certain parts of the country Um, but I definitely don't think he would have gotten the same support from black people there's no way there's no way (laughs) that's incredible because that's incredible because I don't know. It's incredible in a lot of ways because, like, I I think highly of Barack, especially his communication skills. Because I'm a communication skills coach, so I marvel. <laughs> He's I, an amazing speaker. Absolutely. Yes, I, and I mean, forget the policy and policy. <laughs> I marvel at the words that comes out of that man's mouth and how he does it in the tenor and everything in every setting, like. It, he is a savant. It, he is a guru when it comes to placement and spoken and, and expressive speech and language. Right? It's cra- it's ridiculous. Um, even his ums are like hmm. they're, they're not distracting, and they could be multiple, but they're just not distracting. They're just it is what it is. So and he's with, clever on his feet. Very clever is clever is he's clever. He's rehearsed. He could be everything. He's he's he had the humor. Let, he's just, let me just get let me just get philosophical with y'all to take this to another level. Go for it. Plato writes a dialogue called the Statesman, 
And in the dialogue, what he says is that in order to be a good statesman, you have to be able to persuade the people that you can fix their problems, even though you know they're unfixable. That's a skill that, you know, being a politician is a skill. You have to have a certain level of charisma, of charm. You have to be able to move people as a speaker. And in the end, you have to make people believe that you can fix things when you know you can't fix them. And Barack Obama was able to do that. What did he get elected on? Hope and change. Hope and change. Ain't nothing. We all hope. But how much has really changed? And somehow, deep down, when you go to vote for him, you know ain't nothing going to change, but you feel good. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to vote for this dude. So I just think I think that's I think that's an underexamined part of political life that all the things that you admire about Obama, Jason, which certainly are admirable, right? They're all admirable things. And I'm a, you know, I mean, I I have my criticisms of Barack Obama, but all in all, I think he was, he was a decent president. You know, I mean, he got a lot done. I think he was, I think he was very, very good with what he accomplished when he was in office. So I'll say that. But my, my thought was the pairing of him with the white woman. The fact that, I I I have never thought of him standing um like I thought I've I've thought of him probably more on his individual ability and and I never really paired it with Michelle but M- Michelle was a great asset to who he was as an individual and I haven't looked at him them like that I thought they were great pairing yes but the fact that she helped him um she was a, a, a her the pairing politically was also great too and, and i and, and i just looked at him as an individual and and that's vita's point right that we tend to look at male politicians and their wives as a unit and that's why barack obama was so successful by the way i have to say this i've been imagining this comedy skit on Saturday Night Live and what it would be like if it happened in real life for a long time. So Barack Obama's at a press conference. Michelle has just talked, wooed the crowd. Everybody clapped for her. And then there's a hot mic. Obama thinks the mic is off and he gets overheard on the mic saying, man, she getting on my nerves. I'm about to give me a mic, girl. <laughs> <laughs> this dude, this dude, <laughs> it's funny when he laughs really loud. We can't hear him because his mic, his mic is turned up so much juice on it, it just blocks him out. I'm sorry. I just think that would be that would be one of the funniest moments in American history if that ever happened. Yeah, you, that would be crazy. Would that be wild? That would be crazy. Everybody heard that, John. Oh man. Obama. It makes me think of when Jesse Jackson got caught talking smack about Obama. Like when he should have his balls cut off or something like that. Yeah, he was looked at. 
He was looked at kind of sideways by the culture. Like, really? Jesse? No, not just looked at kind of sideways. He was basically blackballed after that. Like, he, we didn't hear from him again. He was, he wasn't invited to nothing. He wasn't doing no more interviews. He was, it was a wrap. You know, y'all, y'all might not remember this, but back in eighty, back in eighty four, Jesse got caught calling New York Jaime time. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Jaime Town. Jaime is a derogatory word for for Jews. Oh, Jews like, are called Jaime's. Oh, oh. Jesse Jackson was caught on a hot mic. He thought the mic was off, so he didn't learn his lesson from back in the eighties. He was still. And he called New York Jaime Town, and the next week that was on like a Tuesday, Saturday Night Live. The next weekend, Eddie Murphy. That he was dressed up as Jesse Jackson. You could you could YouTube this and you'll see it. He sang a song, "Don't Let Me Down, High Me Down," <laughs> and he had he had background singers and he was like, "Hey y'all, my name's Jesse Jackson. I'm a Libra, and I love my Jaime's. I like them little tiny curls they wear down hanging down on their head. Yo, that was." <laughs> It was like a national scandal. That's crazy. I I just can't believe he did it more than once. <laughs> that's not tripping off of. Him and John him and John Morant need to go on timeout, huh, Tim? <laughs> it happened three times. One of them, uh, a, a black reporter from the Washington Post, he said something to him. His name was Milton Coleman. He said something to Milton Coleman off the record. And Milton Coleman wrote it in the Washington Post, and Jesse Jackson was ahead in the polls. He was on his way to becoming the first Democratic nominee for president because he was ahead of the field. People really liked his message, the Rainbow Coalition and all of that. Anyway, um, that basically derailed his campaign, and Farrakhan came out and was like, Milton Coleman's a traitor. You know, when he comes to church, don't talk to him or whatever he he blew this whole thing up and he said one day when we have a nation of our own we're going to punish our traitors with death and then the media took that and they was like Farrakhan is threatening to kill Milton Coleman <laughs> it was crazy it was crazy time. that's that is crazy there was something else I was, I was thinking of when we were talking about um thinking about presidents and them being a unit with their wives I was thinking about Michelle Obama not only was it that she was black? It was a particular black woman, right? She wasn't just arm. She wasn't just like this arm candy sort of. She was highly educated, very intelligent. And she was also much like Barack Obama, a very good speaker, right? Um, she's also somebody, I think she was somebody that a lot of black women would like to see and would like to be and would like their daughters to become. So I feel like that was the other part of it. Um, and then their family sort of represented this sort of almost like Cosby ideal. So it was, it was like, they really had the symbolism down for what black people really wanted to see in the white house. And I think that was, to me, that was like the one thing that they did have was that sort of black representation of, of, of black fantasy. And I think that's really what people voted on and voted for. Because, I mean, I think about those Obama plates everybody has in their house, right? <laughs> like, for the, for the pictures of the family. Um, I think it's, just sort of, it's sort of this... It's, it's the same reason I think we like the Cosby show. 
is sort of this sort of ideal, right? We want to fit into this sort of American image, this American um, dream. And I think that they represented that to some degree. And particularly, I would say for Black people, because I don't think as much as social media, and I think people talk about it on social media, I don't think we have this sort of perspective of or this fantasy as much as white people do of this housewife and husband ideal. I think black women see themselves as being a, a, a more of a partnership um, of us being educated as well and our children being educated and, and sort of thing. And so I think they represented that um, and being powerful um, in that sort of way. Um, even if she didn't necessarily hold an official position, she held a very powerful position. And I think we sort of wanted to see ourselves reflected in that. Um, yeah. And I was, I was going to say, Vita, just to follow up on everything you said, which I think is, is absolutely correct. It wasn't just Michelle Obama's profile. It was, it was her family's profile, right? Right. From a blue collar family. Her father was a hardworking man. She wasn't just from Chicago. She was from the South side of Chicago. Like she was from, there was, she, her, her credentials, her cultural credentials were bona fides. Like you couldn't call them into question. A lot of people might say Barack is, well, you know, he's not really African-American. His father's from Africa. His mother's a white lady from Kansas. Uh, you don't know. But Michelle really made Barack Obama, to, Michelle and Barack together, she made him African-American. No, and that's important too, because that was something that I did consider. I did think about. I mean, the reason being, I think that because uh, I never considered Obama an African American, I still don't. He's black. He's not an African American. Um, and why do why is that important? Because when you think about our history here and what we've created here, there's an impact that's generational, right? It's in our DNA. That's a fact, right? That's a fact. Yep. Um, resilience and trauma is passed out in your DNA. It, it alters your DNA expression. That's a fact, mm. right? What we've contributed, what we've inherited is, is in us. And that's important. There has not been an African-American in the White House at that level. There hasn't, it does, it has not happened. Kamala Harris is not an African-American. Obama is not an African-American. That's to me. That's still an important thing wow. to think about, and that like because not to say that they're not black. I'm not one of those people, but to be enslaved in this country, nobody who has been enslaved in this country has made it to the um, to that branch of government. That has Vita. not happened yet. So, Vita, what you saying? If he lived in California, he would not qualify for reparations. <laughs> he would not qualify for reparations. Is he not ados he's not an american no, we not no, i'm not using those people's terminology those people are nuts I i've know. had enough anger and hate videos from those i told you those fba people made a, a hate video about right what, what, um what? no i'm good uh those people are crazy but <laughs> um those people but those people are not I, that's why you know i have specifically said those people have not been their ancestors were not enslaved here right um the thing to be said about the people who have been enslaved in, in the Caribbean, such as Kamala's ancestors, or Kamala's ancestors, but um, Barack's ancestors uh, were in Kenya, 
right? And I'm sure that they have their own issues around the West and Europe and things like that. That has nothing to do with people who were enslaved here. So him being married to uh, Michelle Obama, whose ancestors were enslaved here, that was that anchor, right? Because now his children have that um, DNA, right? That means that there has to be, you would hope that that means that he has to have some investment in the policies that would impact them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they think that's the that's the thinking. Um, so I think that is an important thing to note that her family and their legacy in this country has that 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 there's some investment in that. I don't have that same um Kamala to me doesn't have that same um investment. She doesn't there's zero investment to to for any type of African American um anything. She doesn't have it. In fact, she blatantly said she doesn't. Like she does a whole video of her saying she doesn't that supports only black people. Why would she have? Why would she have? She doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. She has no investment in it at all. Her children will have no investment. If she decides to have children, she, they will have no investment in it, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Dropping gems, dropping, dropping nuggets. Love it. Have y'all been enjoying our time together on the sofa? Y'all who are listening. We just sitting on the couch eating these wings, eating this pizza. You know, we just tofu. Listen, listen, y'all. It's tofu, man. Look, that's what Tim. I had me some tofu tonight. It was downright delicious. But listen, listen, y'all. Check this out. We need y'all to go to the Motown Philly Facebook group and Vita drop in there and and help us out here. Because we need to get some conversations started around what we're going to do for our one year anniversary show, which is coming up on August 18th, y'all. August 18th is one year to the date that we will be recording episode 52 of the Motown Philly podcast. 52. Mm -hmm. Great. We already have 41. So we only 11 episodes, 11 weeks from now. We're going to be doing something special somewhere, so we need y'all to help us out with it. Listen, what a great conversation, y'all. What a great conversation. And listen, next week, guess who's coming back? Next week, Venus coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Come on back. Make Make yourself comfortable. Next week. Thank ep- you. Next week. At next week's episode, we're going to be sitting around in the living room in preparation for Memorial Day. The next upload, next week's upload is going to be on Memorial Day weekend. And we want me, me, Jason, and Vita are going to be talking about, in the spirit of Memorial Day, who's allowed to come to the cookout and who ain't. I got a list of about five people that can't come within 10 blocks of the cookout. And Clarence Thomas is pretty much at the top of that. <laughs> this one, this one guy is going to be fun because we're going we gonna to kind of let our hair down. This is going to be probably an introductory type episode of two very fun things that Tim and I are going to try and bring into the summer, uh, the summer podcast that will kind of make us all nostalgic and just kind of reminisce about some of the good times and vita is definitely going to be a part of um a few of those episodes if she so chooses to grace her us with her presence but we're gonna have some fun though yes man y'all don't even understand you listen next month june is black music month right we're gonna talk about black music we're gonna talk about our favorite artists our favorite songs 
favorite love songs, favorite hip hop songs, whatever. Oh, y'all gotta have me for that. Y'all gotta. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, man. We gotta have you back for that, Vita. So, listen. What am I telling y'all? Yes, y'all are listening. As you putting that laundry in the dryer, as you pulling up in your garage, whatever you doing, cooking your dinner, sitting around laughing with your friends, we gonna tell y'all who you gotta make sure to to uh, to keep away from the cookout. And then we gonna be, it's just gonna get better and better. It's it's just only gonna get better. Vita, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Vita, tell our listeners where they can find you, girl. Where can they find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Lifestar Media. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Vita Star, V-I-D-A-S-T-A-R-R. Jay, where you at, dog? Where can they find you, partner? Yo, you can find me on where I hang out the most, and that's on the gram. Yo, I haven't been posting much, but I'm there. Look at my look at my catalog. It's a portfolio. I'm a communication coach, and I love to help professionals like you try to level up their communication, effective speak, speaking, and vocal expression. Yo, hit me up. I'm also on LinkedIn, communication skills coach, Jason Hall. Tim Golden, where can we find you? And y'all can find me on Instagram. I'm not an Instagram model. I guarantee you that. But you can find me on Instagram at a good golden man. You can find me on Twitter at DRTJ Golden ESQ. And you can find me on Facebook at Tim Golden. Three things in life for certain death taxes. And I am the only black man in Walla Walla, Washington named Tim Golden. I guarantee it. If I if I run into another brother with my name, I'm going to bring him on the show. How about and if you just run into another brother? <laughs> How about that, chick? How about you? If you just run into another brother, holla at your boy in Walla Walla. I'll tell y'all this right now. If when I ever when I move, I don't want to say if, Lord. When I move from Walla Walla, the population of black men will likely drop to zero. Here we go. Here we go. Listen, we love y'all, man. Motown Philly Communication Connection Community. We hope that we did all three with y'all tonight, whether it's a dysfunctional therapist online who shows us how to destroy community through bad communication and awful connection, or a vengeful Supreme Court justice, or a misguided young man playing in the National Basketball Association, whatever it is, whatever we talked about tonight, we hope that it brought home our principles loud and clear, and we hope that this communication between the three of us and between the three of us and all of you who are listening will build strong connections and make strong communities. I, I believe, Jay and Rita, that we are out of here like Vladimir. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Peace. Peace.